Hey, Bill. Hey, Laurie. Hey, Sam. Hey, Laurie. Welcome to Sam, listeners. He's our other Super Bailey bro, and he's joining us probably just for the intro to this week's show, right? Popping in, popping out, it's all fun. Popping all about. It's season two, (laughs) episode 18. Thanks so much to Ewan McGregor and George McClooney for covering for us last week. Yeah. George McClooney. George McClooney, that's right. Yeah, do you think they did a good job, Phil? Uh, No, I think we did a terrible job uh, introducing them. We didn't give them enough respect and honour, you know, praise. Well, they're pals, aren't they? That's the thing. And George, you know, if you're listening, let's do lunch sometime, smooches, all that sort of stuff. Ewan, I don't want to talk to you, so go away. Goodness me. Uh, Listeners, we've got a fun, action-packed show for you. We finally have the results of the 2017 Brewards. Yeah, thanks so much for getting in touch with your nominations and thank you for supplying the huge number of categories. You know, in future years, Phil, I think we need to do fewer categories. Slim it down a little bit. A little bit, maybe. That's something to look forward to later on. And I've seen Ghost in the Shell. I haven't seen anything. Mm, It's weird, isn't it? It's like if you haven't done the work normally, then you just get fired, isn't it? (laughs) I'm your brother, bro. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've got another bro here, so maybe he'll be the new super Sam, have you seen anything? Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll do a bit of Beauty and the Beast chat. But we've also got Benedict Seal coming back again after my break. He's coming to review Get Out, the amazing horror sort of comedy, I think it is, that's taken the world by storm from uh, Jordan Peele, is it? Yes, I think so. He's of Key and Peele. Remember yeah, that, that obscure, remember what? obscure comedy duo that's very, you know, little known, isn't it, Phil? No, it's massive. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, before we jump into the episode, oh, and by the way, do check out patreon.com slash Bros if you're interested in supporting the show. Thank you so much to our regular supporters. Makes a very, very big difference. Sam, you've seen Beauty and the Beast. I saw Beauty and the Beast yesterday. Oh, yeah. Because Phil reviewed it last week and we've already had before, some people. Before, before <laughs> you say anything, yeah, I right. listened to that review and uh-huh. I cringed inside because I felt like I didn't really do myself or anyone a, a favour in that review. I didn't really do a very good job of expressing myself. I think the passion and the, the anger and the angst all got to me and I just didn't really deliver justice to that review. I think you shouldn't be apologising, really, Phil. You said what was on your heart. Yeah, don't backpedal. I'm about to come support you. Well, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad you're here, Sam, because <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I'm the only one who didn't like this film. So I'd be interested to hear what you guys thought. Well, Sam, why don't you give us your thoughts that support Phil's thoughts, and then I'll come back, because I think I felt slightly differently to you two. And then, don't worry, listeners, we will get on with the show. Yeah. The thing is, I don't think... It's a film to not like. It's not about not liking it. There's lots of things to enjoy. It's, you know, zips along and there's quite fantasy and colours and things like this. However, if you've seen the original, you'll be sitting in that uh, cinema just going, I think I'm going to go home and watch the original. I was always thinking they seem to be stretching out the story and kind of deforming what was already there slightly. So adding in more words to say less it ended up being. You had a, a metaphor about balloon, didn't you? Yeah, I'm going back on that now that we're recording. But, <laughs> no, um, it's good. For, good try me to do it for you. No, I'll, I'll give it a, give it a shot. Uh, if you've got a, a balloon with like a, a nice face on it, you get for parties and so on. Uh, just looking at it when it's not blown up, it looks fine. And if you blow it up normally, it's fine. But if you stretch it out, it totally distorts and becomes one of the scariest things ever. Uh, and I feel like this is kind of what happened with this this film. It's the same sort of base product, but it's been distorted, it's been twisted, and then now that it's become this big major film, it just doesn't look right. It, exactly. There's, there's something wrong about it. There's so you're bigging wrong. up Phil here. I, yeah, I, I, I think you should thank me for not interrupting there, by the that way. Very much. <laughs> thank you very, very kind. much. That's very kind. So you support Phil in everything he said? Well, I think I've got slightly different takes on it. There's 
I could go into lots of detail. I sent Phil lots of text after I saw it. He really did. Um, it was like uh, it was quite good actually. I enjoyed it. I might read one. Here is one text that Sam sent of many, which I enjoyed very much. But here it is. Why was Maurice so normal? Where was the creepy conversation with the asylum keeper? Why change the amazing original songs at all? Question mark. Mm, well, yeah. you know, changing the songs. Are you aware? I looked this up. That Gaston, I think, is probably what you're thinking of. Is it? I'm all nearly all the songs had extra interludes, musical interludes, changes of phrases, changes of words. Everything was just slightly off. This is what I mean about being stretched and distorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the Gaston changes apparently were originally part of the song, but they got cut for the 1991 version, so they weren't written new, apparently, for this film. I don't think I can say the same of the rest, though. No, well, Cutting Room is your friend. They're, it's there <laughs> to, to help you make a better film. It's not there to go and cobble together an extra long featurette. I would certainly agree with you on the Beauty and the Beast main song itself. I thought they wrecked it actually sadly it lost all of its bouncing rhythm it's supposed to be uh what, what's the time going to get this all wrong i was going to say it's like a waltz it's obviously not like a waltz but it does have a momentum to it this one i couldn't tell what came first the shots or the songs because it seemed to randomly slow down and speed up and take extra beats and extra breaths and emma thompson's phrasing was almost like she was singing a jazz standard uh rather than the actual song so for me it lost its cohesion yeah Laurie, what did you make of it? Because you, you're saying you didn't quite agree with me at all, Sam. I think there are a couple of points in particular that I think you overstated yourself there, Phil. And I can understand what happened in the heat of passion. I mean, did you not hear my review of life last week? Of mm, course. Yes. And Deadpool, as we all know very well. In particular, I thought the wolves, which you said were not scary enough, I thought they were fine. I thought they were scary enough in as far as you can do with CGI rather than animation. The key thing with that scene, I thought, was Kevin Klein, who was just not scared enough basically he played it i said this to sam earlier like he was in home alone or something and just falling it was like whoa, sliding down some stairs. yeah kevin klein was totally off so i agree with you about maurice he was wrong what made maurice in the original compelling was that he was frightened out of his skin and terrified and that's why they throw him in the insane asylum whereas in this one it's just like they take a vote or something yeah, <laughs> it's really that scene really didn't make sense. Was rubbish yeah it was so bad just one more thing on the the wolf fight uh if you want to look at a fight being done well between wolves and a beast go to the original it's pitched perfectly all the beats are hit just the start of it the beast demonstrates how yeah. awesome he is by picking up a wolf and yelling at it like that's it's, true he just roars right in its face doesn't he it's amazing and it pumps you up for this scene and then he protects bell it's ah oh, I, I, you couldn't actually do it better and this one it had perfect source material changed it and ma- took away from that scene i was ready for it and that's it the do. other fight not with maurice this is when bell runs away this is when bell runs away i mean just if we're talking about the wolves that that's what comes to my mind yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah, like nice. music to my ears sam you're expressing all these things that i just didn't okay do no, no, no. let me reel these off uh i thought emma watson was actually very good against cgi creatures she was better with animated creatures than she was with other people that is fair i agree with you on that she's yeah. really quite good at it and as we said she got formed with that from harry potter so perhaps no surprise uh, i didn't think she was very strong uh, in any other moment of the film especially not her singing sorry emma uh, emma thompson i thought was fine i thought ewan mcgregor was fine i thought ian mckellen first time i've ever thought wow that's a bad performance he just didn't have much to do maybe the key thing is i thought the pacing was poor and this was especially obvious in the love montage and do you know what i mean by that is that during the song basically which so no 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 well i mean that's part of it it's particularly when she starts flinging snowballs at the beast in the original there the was song something there that wasn't yes exactly there the song starts and then it cuts into cuts very quickly with sort of funny scenes of then getting to know each other like the beast with the birds all over him and the beast with the snowballs uh, and the beast eating soup in this film 
they didn't do it as a montage. I don't know whether you noticed this. They did it as scenes. They used bits of the montage and filled them out. It lost the pace of the montage. So one thing that is weird with a montage, even though it's less time on screen, your mind fills in the gaps and you can believe there's other stuff happening around these moments. Which but it just didn't make them... the cut sort yeah, of Yeah, exactly. And, and that is where the love is happening. Whereas in this one, when they just use scenes... There's no, there's no way that they love each other. Do you know what I mean? Mm, totally agree. Totally okay. agree. Those are all my thoughts, but I still liked it a bit more than you, Phil. I would what? have given it a B minus. B minus. That's what a normal person gives it. That's you what said, I said a B plus that's... is what a normal person. No, gives it. I said a B minus originally, <laughs> and then you made me change it. So you're saying I'm normal now? Well, yeah. Sam, what would you have given it? Ooh. Um, as a film on its own, what would you give it? As a, as a reflection of the Beauty and the Beast classic animation, what would you give it? Two grades. A film on its own, uh, you know, you could get away with a B plus because it's nicely made. It's put together relatively well. As a film which I have deep invested interest in, uh, loving the original so much, I'd, yeah, C-, I'd, I really didn't, didn't enjoy something I, I really loved being taken and turned into what it was well there you go listeners there's two other opinions on Beauty and the Beast the live action remake re- reboot I don't know what to call it whatever whatever mm. they're doing in Disney and rehash uh, if, maybe yeah, yeah re- <laughs> <laughs> if you agree with any of those three opinions we'd like to hear from you superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros but if you completely disagree and I think we're going to hear from some people who definitely did disagree with me last week mm-hmm. uh, then you can also get in touch we'd like to hear what you thought was good or not so good Okay, right. Well, moving on then, I guess, straight onto the show, right? Swiftly. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sam, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed that little extra Beauty and the Beast bonus, listeners. Right at the beginning. Let's kick off. Phil, have you ever seen any anime films that have freaked you out? I mean, I've seen Akira, and that is genuinely quite freaky towards the end when the oh, guy's really? got like a massive, weird, like monster arm. Oh, really? It's all like veiny and gross. Ugh. Because I, I remember seeing Ghost in the Shell, or at least the first few minutes of Ghost in the Shell, when I must have been something like 14, um, and around at a friend's house. Fred, if you're listening, thanks for this. And I found it al- almost genuinely a bit traumatizing, because within the opening five minutes, you see a guy get shot, and he sort of explodes, and it's very graphic in a cartoon way. And then almost immediately after that, there's a naked woman just flying around. And I, I remember just being sort of stuck to my seat, and kind of going, what's happening? <laughs> It really freaked me out, especially the fact that it was a cartoon. Um, but I rewatched the original 1995 Ghost in the Shell ahead of seeing Rupert Sanders' new adaptation of it, which has caused a big fuss. The big fuss being that he's got a white actress as the lead, even though it's a Japanese property. That's right. So a lot of people say, well, this isn't just a Japanese property. The whole film is completely sort of Eastern influenced and, and infused, if, if you want to call it that, because the philosophy involved, the locations, are just the style of everything. It's completely Eastern and yet it's been made utterly Western uh, in its appearance. And I think, you know, we won't really touch on this for, for too long. And a lot of people have made defences about it. The, the original writer of the manga has said he doesn't see it as a major problem. And it's obvious that they would cast a big star. I think this stuff has happened a lot hasn't it there have been a lot of remakes i mean the departed which wins massive accolades all the time is you know a complete remake of a film called infernal affairs which is a chinese movie have you seen that yeah yeah, yeah. uh you have seen infernal affairs oh, no I, I know about it i've seen the Departed. i love the Departed. yeah no one no one's been talking as far as i know no one has complained about whitewashing even though that is an entirely white cast and, and it's been even it's been transplanted so i think there's a lot of mixed things going on and i would say you just need to figure out yourself what you think the right thing is Anyway, the original 1995 manga is about 
a major who works for Public Security Section 9, and she is involved in counter-terrorism operations and counter-cybercrime operations in a futuristic society in which people have basically begun to replace parts of themselves with robotics and computerised things because it enables them to do more advanced stuff. So a lot of them have brain implants. That means that their brain can literally connect to a network. It's really quite ahead of its time, this stuff. Like, So you're always online. And kind of a bit like the Matrix. Yeah, a bit like that. And you can communicate essentially telepathically. You can do instant messaging in your head. Um, so there's a, yeah, that, that's kind of how that works. But it also means that people are liable to being hacked. As with all sort of mechanics and computing, there is a dangerous stuff going wrong. And a big theme in the manga and in the 1995 film is people's memories being hacked basically or their personality being hacked by criminals mm. uh, or people sort of succumbing and needing maintenance and uh, and then of course you've got the major herself who is basically a brain in a completely robotic body uh, in the 2017 film rupert sanders version she's the first of her kind hanker robotics develop her she's a big project for them you know this is really advanced have a completely new body and keep your brain alive kind of thing mm. in the 1995 film it's not as explicit as that but both of them do start with her basically being constructed uh, and it's a very interesting sequence and, and that that is scarlett johansson's character uh, and again, the plot of the 1995 film is they're tracking down a cyber criminal called the Puppeteer, who is hacking a lot of people, causing a lot of problems. 2017 film is not quite so explicit. Um, essentially, they are tracking down a cyber criminal. And once the major Scarlett Hansen's character gets on his trail, she begins to doubt this guy's motives, the criminal's motives. She begins to wonder who he really is. And it also starts stirring up glitches in her memory and in her vision as well of her life before she was this robot sort of that's this. right and she can't remember much about who she was before she became this sort of crime fighting superstar uh, and so it sort of gets her on the path to self-discovery and she's got a lot of her own questions they're sort of it's completely different but a little bit of parallel to robocop uh, yeah maybe actually quite a large parallel to robocop in this new film version certainly and you know i should say it's i think it's they've used hong kong as a base it's the mid 21st century and it's this hyper-futuristic metropolis with gigantic holographic adverts. If you've seen the trailer, you'll know what I mean. Yeah. Sort of bending down to sell stuff to people. Incredible skyscrapers and amazing nighttime vistas uh, that stretch out as far as the eye can see from the top of a building. But really kind of grimy, almost steampunk. Um, sort of dirty Lower cream. alley streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And grimy back, back door clubs, that kind of thing. Uh, should we have a clip? Yes. So this is a sequence in which the major Scarlett Johansson's character needs to deep dive. What they've done is recovered a sort of evil android that looks a bit like a geisha from a raid on a property. And it's clear that this geisha has information that they need to catch this cyber criminal. So Scarlett Johansson is going to connect. She's going to dive into the network and dive into the network within this machine, which is risky because it means she's open to hackers. I mean, you know, it's just so like just, it's going on, going on like, a hotspot Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah. Does she just like plug herself into like this other person then? I think she plugs herself into a desk that connects her to a network, which is then connected to the other person. I don't think it's a direct person to person connection. No. Is it a bit like the way Futurama does the internet, which is that they physically go into the internet and then they're walking around the internet? It is like that, find... although I can't picture that anymore. Have you not seen that? And then they get all done attacked by pop up ads. I mean, that's, easy. To... <laughs> that's funny. I wish they'd done that in this. No, no, there's no pop up ads. But what there is is a moment where she starts to get smothered by sort of very dark and murky figures and you know they say or oh, she's being hacked so a lot of this is kind of atmospheric and kind of sound effecty you're just going to have to picture her wading through a kind of murky network world here we go here we go i have to find 
to do a deep dive. I have to get inside her memory. Consent required for data download. I give my consent. So, Phil, have you heard anything about this? I mean, it was funny. I got given a very stern embargo warning by Paramount, and then I got a very friendly email from Paramount on Wednesday saying, well, since the trade press have broken the embargo, now feel free to say what you want. Oh, really? I do? Yeah, yeah that's funny. Uh, I haven't really heard anything about this film other than the whitewashing controversy, mm. and I am hesitantly optimistic that it might be better than people are saying it saying it is or the impression that people are giving of it okay well i don't know what impression that is phil but i can say i think this film has some of the most stunning visual effects oh, i've really? ever seen i think it's absolutely at the pinnacle of what is possible with computer technology it is unbelievably stunning and you know i saw this at the empire leicester square that's where the screening was and we got given our 3d glasses and we saw well, it, was it in, in 3d imax yeah and you know i thought the 3d is really impressive i've always been a bit more impressed by 3d than i think you ever have i mean i've all got glasses so glasses so on glasses just doesn't work for i me. wore it man i looked great i'm sure i did <laughs> But, I mean, that it really is eye-popping, genuinely, and just stunning. You know, like The Hobbit, Peter Jackson's Hobbit, which drew a lot of criticism for how much of the background, how much of the character, everything was all CGI-based. It's very similar here, and yet it, it just looks amazing. It moves on leaps and bounds. But I think the sort of darkness of it and the, the flat lines uh, and endless vistas of the cityscape really lends itself to this kind of computer-generated imagery. That sounds great, man. It really does, and it, it really does look amazing. There's one particular guy, uh, Pilo Ajbik, and I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, he's known in Game of Thrones, and he was in Lucy, actually, alongside Scarlett Johansson, uh, right at the beginning. You know her friend who gets her to take the package for him? Yeah. If you can picture that guy, he is alongside the Major as a guy called Batu, who is also uh, a part of Section 9. And the reason I bring him up at this point is that he starts out looking very, very normal, and then through an accident... Uh, he then gets eye implants. And that's not a spoiler. That is very, very well known if you've ever seen any images of the manga. And he's got these amazing, tiny sort of telescopic eye implants. And the way that that's done through CGI and prosthetics is incredible. Really? Yeah, He, I thought he really looked amazing. And they really nailed it as far as the transposition from anime to live action has gone. They, they so it, it doesn't look kind of impossible or anything? No, like and you know what? A lot of people have been saying this already, is that there's already a precedent for people uh, trying to look like anime characters. It's called cosplay, and it's got really weird conventions all over the world yeah, yeah, yeah. people dress up like these anime characters and do their hair in the crazy angles crazy this costumes is, exactly this is the only instance where they sort of have managed to blur the lines a bit and it was you know unlike beauty and the beast where they literally you know recreated the costumes in a weird disneylandish way this just this works everything about the design is stunning superlative whatever you want to call it it's incredible and it really really works uh, and the atmosphere is often brilliant as well. So one thing The Ghost in the Shell did really well, the 1995 anime, was it set this city scene fantastically well. It was almost noir-ish, except there's not really a noir plot going on. And 
when you think about it, when you animate individual frames like that and it's all drawings, then you've got to have a really visionary animation director to pull that kind of thing off. Because mm. one of the things I was amazed, one of the sequences in the original Ghost in the Shell I loved was one that had almost no narrative or plot points in it at all. There's just a sequence where she wanders through the city. And the animators use this as a chance to show kind of different camera angles and perspective on this town they've created. A little sort of odd minutiae, like some of the signs and some of the gigantic advertising billboards that are overwhelming and some of the height to the skyscrapers in the water, even mannequins in a clothing shop. And that was all hand-drawn and animated, really visionary stuff. And they do manage to carry some of that atmosphere over in the CGI thing as well. It's very dark and gloomy. It's very faithful in very, very, very many ways. And even right down to Rupert Sanders literally recreating iconic shots from the film. One that will stand out to lots of people when they watch it is the major reclining on a sort of a light bed. Um, and it's a completely profile shot with a window that overlooks this forest of skyscrapers. And it really, really weirdly, I guess lost in translation. You know the opening of that with Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. in her bedroom? Mm-hmm. I guess that must have been inspired by the 1995 anime Ghost in the Shell because it was iconic. And it's so weird to then have Scarlett Johansson herself doing it again. But as this weird cyborg robot. That's weird. I didn't make the connection. I didn't realise it's Scarlett Hansen. Yeah, both yeah, no, times. yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Scarlett Hansen is sort of perfect for this because she's done Lucy, which has a very similar plotline to the original Ghost in the Shell, uh, and she's done Lost in Translation. There's there's a lot about her background and also Black Widow in um, the Civil War stuff and the Avengers. She, she's really tailor made for this, and, and she does do a good job. So yeah, casting, uh, production, atmosphere, all brilliant. Nothing else really works. I'm really sorry to say. But then like, you've listed some big big components of filmmaking that seem to be hitting the big bucks so yeah but did you notice that all of them are plucked from the source material and now this is a key thing to say because if you have seen ghost in the shell then you'll probably react very similarly to me if you haven't seen the original 1995 version i would say if you're at all interested in this don't watch it first watch this film first and then come back for the anime otherwise it's just going to disappoint you i think why? Because this film is a bit more standard Hollywood film and the well, Ghost it's just, the Shell is a bit more... Well, things that will blow you away are things that have already been done before. Right. But a bit like what you said about Beauty and the Beast, right? And, and in fact, that the impact is still better in the original anime because all this is just a recreation of it. Like, there's a really great scene uh, in the original where they're chasing down someone who appears to be linked in to this crime syndicate and he's in a garbage truck. There's a long, lengthy chase sequence through the city and it opens out into this amazing lake right in the middle of the city. And it's just this one guy with a gun standing looking at this huge city and then he battles the major, Scarlett Johansson, who has her cloaking technology enabled. So it's like an invisible fight. In the anime, it's brilliant. The film literally scene for scene, shot for shot, remakes it. Looks great. I promise you it's better in the anime. So right. see, the, see this film first if you're interested in both and then watch the other one. I think Rupert Sanders doesn't really showcase much directorial flair. When he's not recreating the shots or just allowing the CGI landscape to speak for itself, there's nothing great about it. In fact, some of the reimaginings of the scenes do down the initial impact of them. And in his sort of slavish adherence to recreate the shots and yet change the story, it actually creates a real model. This is something that really is sort of indefensible, I think. One of the writers is claimed uh, to have said there might have been six or seven writers involved on the screenplay at one point, and it was originally optioned, I think, by Steven Spielberg for DreamWorks in 2008, I think. Really? Yeah, so it's been in the running for quite a long time, and you can really tell that the story has been tinkered with a lot, because the original Ghost in the Shell anime, quite a straightforward story, not much to it, This one, it brings in elements from the sequel to that original anime, uh, which focuses on these geisha dolls, as I've already mentioned. It takes some parts of a spin-off TV series, which are kind of to do with the major's backstory, and it Frankenstein-lee 
creates a brand new narrative. And does that mean there's not much focus to the narrative? It just means in their attempt to do that, they just run into odd roadblocks. And you can really tell that they've had to shoehorn some of the original iconic moments into this new formula that they've created. And there's, you know, without spoiling anything, the denouement especially uh, of a really iconic action sequence that's very slow um, and kind of interesting is really underwhelming by comparison. And that's to do with a tank. I'll just put it like that. Uh, so that annoyed me. And on top of that, I was frustrated that the original at least had an attempt to do something with existential philosophy and looking forward. You know, sci-fi is often about looking ahead, isn't it? And thinking about... The future. Yeah, and you think Ex Machina, for example, is yeah. all about androids. The next step and exactly, things Exactly, like the next step, looking ahead, looking forward. What I couldn't forgive this film for was that it morphs the story of the Major and her character, who's a very pragmatic person in the original, gets on with stuff. They really morph her into a very sort of millennial <laughs> Hollywood mindset where she's obsessed with her past. And the film becomes a lot to do with her past and her identity, whereas the original was... It was to do with her identity, but not because she was obsessed to know who she was and why she is the way she is. She was much more interested in who she was going to become and what that meant for her and what that meant for the rest of the world. That and is I, a very interesting thing to draw it's out. a literal reversal. And right down to the fact that in the original, she seeks out someone at a certain point or something at a certain point in an interesting way. In this film, they seek her out. So it, it's attempting to say it hasn't changed that much. I think it has changed a lot. So she's very inward looking rather than outward looking. And yeah. the world revolves around her. Exactly. And it's a very relevant sort of modern approach to stuff where we're all self-obsessed in the world of social media and everything. And our identity is really the crucial that's thing. That's the king. These and that's so heavily expressed in this film. I thought it was really disappointing because... The source material is just nothing like that, really. So I think that was a big letdown. Um, I think they also mistreat their cast a little bit, although it's cast really well. They have Takeshi Kitano, who's also known as Beat Takeshi, and I'm slowing down my speech, Phil, because you think I'm going too fast. I'm yeah. <laughs> too enthusiastic. Sorry, listeners. You may have seen him in Battle Royale, if you've seen that movie. Um, he's an incredibly well-known Japanese actor, and he plays the section chief in Sector 9. And a lot of people are saying how great he is, I think people are being misled by the fact that he's a very well-known figure and a legendary actor. I don't think his performance was that great because I think the the role was awfully underwritten. There's one particular sequence where some thugs try to take him out, which is a fun scene, but the impact is lost. It's right. not quite right because they haven't done the work to build up his character and his relationship with the rest of his team. So instead, it just sort of feels like another notch in the story plot line. Uh, I also think Batu, in the same way that the Major's character and storyline has been changed, Batu's relationship to her is much, much weaker than it was in the original. There's a real sense by the end in the cartoon that uh, he's being left behind, I think, even though he's an important part of her life. He's kind of being left behind because she's moving past him. This film, it's not really about that anymore. And I, I thought that was a real letdown. But perhaps the worst offender in all of this is Chin Han's Han. And I think he's a sort of amalgamated character because the original had a guy called Toguza who was in this team. And he has hardly any enhancements, whereas the rest of the team have loads. And it's a big part of his character. He carries a revolver, you know, that you have to manually load rather than an automatic pistol. Right. And at one point he talks about, well, I don't really trust the automatic pistols because they can seize up in, you know, a firefight, whereas I can trust this one because I can manually do it. It's very, very simple characterization, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Here's a guy who doesn't really trust technology compared to a major who is all technology, except mm -hmm. for her brain. Great, isn't it? 
they just sort of blitz past that and don't make anything of it, this guy Han. Whereas even though he was a side character in the original, his presence and the way that he related to his team was important to the themes of the story. So it's just a really good example about the way that the themes and the general premise and the point of the first Ghost in the Shell have been completely pushed to the side to create a generic, stunning, yes, but very generic sci-fi action thriller, basically. That's a shame because it sounds like the pieces are there to maybe make something good out of it, but it's too occupied with making a financial success. Which they really must do. I mean, the budget is huge and they've had this whitewashing controversy. Everything about it needs to succeed because of the investment they put into it. And I don't doubt they're slightly hoping for a franchise because the major is an appealing character. I think that's why Ghost in the Shell is a franchise in Japan. It's been very successful. But on the strength of this, I mean, I just don't know what else they can do with it. I, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe with this sort of backstory out the way that everyone's obsessed with these days, mm. we can actually have a good sort of cybercrime story where they're tracking down criminals. But it's very lackluster from that point of view and, and quite disappointing on those levels. And another shout out, Michael Pitt. Do you remember Michael Pitt? I talked to you about him before. He's that weirdo from that film you did and what we've been watching. Silk. He is a very, very strange presence on screen. Cast very well in this case. He essentially plays the arch villain who they completely destroyed the character of for the purposes of the film. He does a good job here because he's a weird guy (laughs) and and he plays a weird guy. Uh, Final note from me, man, and I apologise if this has been quite a stream of consciousness, hard to listen to thing, uh, is the score is really poor. I was so disappointed by the score. The score is poor. score is poor, a poor score. Because the original composer, who's a guy called Kenji Kawaii, I heard some things where he specifically talked about his desire to merge the old and the new and it's a very minimalist score with a a huge amount of silence and some weirdly antiquated instrumentation and the famous song from ghost in the shell does appear in the end credits of this version but in the original it was like a centerpiece it was part of it it was very empty it used old chanting traditional japanese voices and it was very very powerful it was a really powerful part of the film and it was a really deft and clever touch of music because when you have a futuristic film have a get what kind of soundtrack would you be aiming for generally generally something which is slightly uh otherworldly slightly technical sounding yeah synthy right yeah very futuristic but that's like how the 80s did the future right and yeah. was, this was so much cleverer in the original and this one they forget all that and they just go for a very standard issue synthy soundtrack a bit like uh daft punk's soundtrack for tron if you can picture that yeah i can there are quite a lot of similarities between this film <laughs> and tron lots of people like the tron soundtrack though they love the tron soundtrack but it doesn't fit what should be done here it makes it for a very plodding very dour a very unsubtle experience and it really mutes all the emotions that that was the real that was another one of the real killer things is that i didn't feel any emotional connection to to almost anything that was going on even though it's live action it feels less alive yeah i I was clearly meant to feel that way so i think i've said pretty much everything I, i can say but i mean i really don't want to take away from the stunning production design because it is just astonishing what what can be done and it it looks amazing and i I think basically it will make it a success i think so i think it'll be a huge success i have a feeling already that it's it's gonna just die a quiet i think you're wrong phil i think it's too intriguing let me tell let me tell me honestly after what i have everything i just said do you want to see it yeah but i think ghost in the shell i think it's kind of a niche idea a niche product you know how you started that sentence just there you said yeah but so there you go that's it but the thing is, is like I, I mean, I'm a bit of a fan of anime. I've, I remember seeing like 
the 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 cover of Ghost in the Shell, the anime original, and being really intrigued by that just yeah. alone. And so, even though I haven't seen the original cartoon uh, animation, uh, it's always been an intriguing property to me. And I wonder. I don't think I'm necessarily typical of the audience in the but UK. The marketing or push abroad. and the PR around it is so intense, and people love Scarlett Johansson. People love futuristic sci-fi stuff. It's really in vogue right now. I, I predict it will be, confidently predict it will be a huge smash at the box office. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if we don't hear about hearing a, hold on, I've got too many negatives in that sentence. Basically, I think a sequel will be announced pretty quickly. Interesting. I, I think I'm going to hold you to that. Mark your words right now. Mm. Well, there we go. Okay, listeners, um, that's pretty much all I've got to say on it. The grade from me is a, I think I would probably have to give it a B because the visuals are just that good. But I, I sort of want to give it a B minus. At its heart, it's a C. No, no, C I think it's, at its heart, it's a a B minus, but I think it's I think it's a B. It's too standard issue. And one thing that everyone will criticise me for if um, they haven't seen the anime is that I couldn't do anything without constantly referring to it. And you know, well, I don't know what to say to that. If you if you go, it's and hard, watch isn't it, it? When you see a film <laughs> which is a remake of a thing which you kind of think is quite good in quality, it's very hard to look at it on its own terms. I'll give it that because it because every, it's so much of it is recreated. But the additions and the changes I thought were very subpar. So let me know what you guys think. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. Very weird mirror of Beauty and the Beast, isn't it? Not really, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> As film critics yourself, Phil and Laurie, <laughs> you mean officially or? Officially, I think this is officially. So okay, oh, bros right. we're in, we're in. Good. Ooh. Okay, yeah, yes. I'm interested to know just how important a review or a series of reviews for a film, a critical reception is to your film viewing choices. <sighs> that is a good question. I would say it's kind of, a, it's like one factor. There's kind of the word of mouth factor, there's the critics review factor, there's sort of the celebrity element, who what the name's attached to it as another factor, and then there's sort of just general marketing, I'd say. There's like four big factors, and I think critics review is one of them. If it gets a lot of good critical reviews, yeah. I think, oh, maybe I need to check that out. Mm, you talking about Rotten Tomatoes there, Phil? Not necessarily, I don't Ooh. know. Uh, this is a big question, isn't it? And it's kind of stalemate. There's no real winner. I know a lot of critics defend what they do and say critical opinion does not decide whether you go to the box office or not. But yeah. I know there have been films where the make or break for me has been when a critic said it's terrible, then I just won't go and see it because it doesn't have enough star power or expectation. So I think it's definitely an important factor, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's all or nothing sort of thing. Yeah, and, and studios pay for you to watch their film. Like, I mean, I go to screenings. They invite me to screenings. So obviously the distributors are happy. It's publicity, isn't it? So if I told you that this film I'm about to review on Rotten Tomatoes, I know that's a, a, a dodgy thing, but this yeah. is impressive nonetheless. If I told you I had 223 reviews and just the one of them was negative. Are you serious? I am serious. Well, of all of them? Of all of them. Making it one of the best reviewed films in the history of Rotten Tomatoes for a wide release live action. Would you... Just go, whatever. I definitely would have to say, I'd have to look at the film. I would take notice, and the, and uh, the film. I know the film which you're going to review. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we do, I don't want to spoil it if we're doing this little dance Benedict thing. Is nailing this intro. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I I think I I've heard about this film. I, I've been hearing about how good it is and how interesting and how fresh it is and all this sort of stuff. And I am kind of intrigued. I could kind of want to see what the fuss is about. Yeah. And so I am intrigued to hear what you think of it, Benedict. It's almost made me step past the fact that it's a horror, basically. Okay, mm. yeah. And that is the thing that would normally switch me and Phil off. So, yeah, it is impressive. There's no doubt about that. Great. So the film I am reviewing, if you may or may not have guessed, is Get Out, 
which, as Laurie says, is a horror, but has also been described by the director, Jordan Peele, the comedian of Key and Peele, uh, who I'm sure you know, as a social thriller. Social thriller. Now that would turn me off, in fact. <laughs> so would you? I didn't hear him say that. I just, I mean, what is that? That's nothing. That's, uh, that's empty inventive. words that you say to try to sell your movie, maybe. In, to make it more than it is. But sorry, carry on, Benedict. Well, I, to be, I mean, that's, uh, that's one opinion. I think it's kind of everything. Okay. It's, it is. This is one of the most social thrillery films I've probably ever seen. Wow. Okay. Okay. So the setup is we have a young couple in America. We have Rose and Chris. And they've been dating for about four months or so. Uh, it has become time when Rose is going to take them on a weekend trip to visit her parents. And he asks, do your parents know I'm black? Because he's African-American. And she says, no, 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 no. Why, why would that be important? They're liberal. They're open. They're, they're very friendly. They won't care. This is going to go fine. And he's kind of like, oh, okay, I'll go along with you. I trust you. They head out there and... From the word go, things seem slightly off. And in the opening conversation between Rose and Chris and Rose's parents, which we're about to hear in a clip, things just seem slightly, slightly off. So how long has this been going on, this this thing? (laughs) How long? (laughs) Four months. Four months? Mm. Uh, Five months, actually. She's right. I'm wrong. Attaboy. Better get used to saying that. <laughs> I, please, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. She's right. I'm wrong. <laughs> See? Does he have an off button? No. This is exhausting. I know, and I want to give you a tour. They Can just you, like, go. unpack first? You want to unpack? Before the tour? So that was Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, a British actor. Mm. And uh, Rose was played by Alison Williams, who is from Girls. That's an HBO know. show in America, very kind of hip and trendy girl, up-and-coming actor, but not necessarily the biggest name. No, but she is very, very good, as is Daniel Kaluuya. And I think those... Well, I think the performances in this film are really, really excellent. They totally commit... You have the, you have the idea that Jordan Peele, who, kind of, who wrote and directed, and kind of this is his brainchild, it feels very much a film from one guy's mind... And he has a very clear idea of exactly what he wants from his actors and his actors deliver that perfectly. Because we go on a journey with Chris as what starts out in the clip you've just heard as just being a bit off, a bit weird, a bit awkward, not quite that super seamless, we don't care where you're from uh, kind of situation that he was, that was suggested to him. Instead, it goes from kind of harmless but a bit weird to something really quite sinister. Mm. And they have, the family have uh, African-American kind of servants, like a groundskeeper and a housemaid, this kind of thing. And they're very uh, robotic in a way. And Chris tries to relate to them because he's, of course, okay, you're some of my people. Let's kind of have a chat. This might be a good opportunity to speak to somebody like me surrounded with all these these white people in the suburbs. But they are just not connecting in the way that he is used to. And it's because it, it's exploring, as you can imagine, uh, race in America and racism in America. But it's not taking the kind of blindly hateful hillbillies with their pitchforks yeah, and yeah, their yeah. torches and things. This is dealing with a, a, a kind of liberal racism just suggesting how deeply ingrained this is, even in people that think of themselves as open progressive. and progressive. Yeah, nice. It's, yeah. it's an interesting idea taking race as and, and racism 
as a, a place for horror because it's not necessarily where you'd go because it's such a, a touch, touchy subject, rightfully so. Um, but it's almost using the idea, the fear, presumably, of uh, black people in America that the kind of veneer of these white people that they're meeting who are very friendly, actually behind it is something really dark and horrible. And then also playing on the whole idea of meeting your, your girlfriend's parents is quite a scary thing. Yeah, it is. And yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea. What I'm nervous about, and maybe you can reassure me, is how, how much does it go down the horror route? So it stays creepy for kind of the first two acts. That's the kind of the, the tone it's hitting. Creepy and odd and the audience is trying to work out, okay, what exactly is going on? Unsettling sort of thing. Unsettling, yeah, very much so. And there's kind of weird behavior from some of the people that he comes into contact with. In the third act, it does escalate. And I think quite impressively so, it always has somewhere new to go. And I think possibly for people that aren't used to horror films, they might just think that it goes too far. Okay. But for me as a fan, it just like kept on on a... It's a roller coaster always on the, the, the drop. Yeah. That's so cool, isn't it? Wow. Amazing. I mean, one of the first things that jumps into my mind is that Jordan Peele, being mm. a comedian, I would yes. expect there to be a comedic or at least a kind of sarcastic, dark humour kind of vibe thing going on. Is that in the film? Uh, it is. It's certainly... You couldn't call it a horror comedy, for Didn't example. They call that a homedy. A homedy. <laughs> they don't. No. That sounds like a literary term, doesn't it? <laughs> but what it does have is characters who are funny, but it feels like a kind of natural okay. humour. So one of the interesting... Uh, elements that Peel puts in is that Chris has a friend kind of back wherever they live uh, and who's looking after his dog I think it's his dog or his cat one of his pets and he kind of he's like texting him and saying like this is this is a bit weird like I don't really know what's going on and this kind of communication we cut between the two and as things start going really weird for Chris, Chris's friend starts kind of panicking okay, and wonders whether he needs to start doing something. And he has some real humor. It's played by a guy called Lil Rel Howery, who's not somebody I'm familiar with, but is absolutely perfect in this role. And he is very funny, but never falls into any kind of farce. And it okay. doesn't break the tension. It doesn't break the tension. And I think... As a horror fan, it's something I've noticed in the past that I think there are more similarities between horror and comedy as two totally separate genres than people often kind of think of. Uh, how interesting. Okay. And is that to do with sort of go- subverting people's expectations? Because horror is all about going extreme, right? But on the fear and the jumpy thing, whereas comedy is gross out or whatever, right? Yeah. And I think you're totally right. And also timing as well. Like the whole thing about it's telling timing, a joke. timing, setup and all that sort of stuff. It's the same as scaring somebody and you're trying okay, to elicit yeah. an extreme reaction making somebody scream versus making somebody laugh. Uh, so I think Jordan Peele just, he has that comedic touch and he has a knowledge of the horror genre, which just makes him perfect for a very snappy, very fresh feeling horror film. So you say it felt, felt fresh. Did it feel like it was hitting the, the kind of conventions of a horror movie though, in terms of the direction? Or was it kind of completely like he was just doing things in completely not the horror sort of mold, but that actually kind of worked for you? I think he uses the conventions of the genre, as I suppose it's impossible not to when mm. you're kind of doing this kind of thing. But it never felt uh, pastiche in a way. It was just a a kind of a knowledge of the horror genre so full that it wasn't going to specific references being like, oh, I know the exorcist, so I'll throw in an exorcist bit. More just kind of he knew the language so he could then speak that. Great. With his own accent, in a way, if you want to continue. That's great. That. That's fantastic. So, I mean, this is a guy who really knows cinema, in other words. Yeah, I think so. It certainly comes What's the script like? Because he wrote it as well. 
I think the script is probably the strongest element, to be honest. Right, okay. And, I mean, this is a movie that has been massively buzzy and talked about from the great reviews to the amazing box office. And I've heard some people talking about whether it could possibly maintain this kind of, this hype and this goodwill into award season. What, for next year? For next year, because this has been screened, which is very, very rare for a live action film. This has been screened for Academy voters. Well, how about that? In Los Angeles and New York. Alongside Beauty and the Beast, but we'll say that's for that costume. got screened for Academy voters. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Wow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I think if there's any chance of that happening, it would be for Best Original Screenplay. What Peel has, and I think he worked on this for a, a number of years, is his screenplay feels so tight. There are no dropped threads. Every single detail has a perfect payoff. And you kind of, as somebody who I feel knows the horror quite well, I'll see something. I'll be like that's weird that he decided to show that in the so foreground you, of that shot you know about like the you know that if they're going to mention a, a painting that painting is yeah, going to come back it's definitely going to come back it feels like this beautiful perfect kind of cohesive jigsaw jigsaw i mean yeah. listen you couldn't see benedict's hands in the air i didn't know what to do. Kind of juggle looking all the for ideas. the perfect word to describe the, what appears to be almost a perfect film yeah this looks to me like it could be a genuine breakout role for Daniel Kaluuya as well, who, I'd be honest, the guy that I, I was trying to place him because I really recognised him and I realised the thing I recognised him from was Johnny English Reborn, where he plays sidekick to Rowan Atkinson, Agent Tucker, who's kind of the straight man to Rowan Atkinson's fool. And I thought he was very good in it. He's very likeable, but he's very British and it was a farcical role, yeah. whereas he really sounds very American in this and it's kind of dramatic and intense, right? Yeah. I mean, his accent is flawless. I didn't know... I didn't know he was British until... The Samuel L. Jackson controversy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, interestingly, I thought watching this, because I liked John Boyega in The yeah, Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you know what I thought? And I know that you shouldn't go back and think, oh, I'd rather have this person in the role. But I think Daniel Kaluuya would have been an amazing Finn for these oh, Star Wars films. Oh, you can't that's, say that, that's, man. That's a, I totally can. I think, he's, I think he's brilliant. Okay. How about that? Okay. Did you not rate John Boyega? I think he's good, but I think he was lacking something in that role. How that about I think that? Ooh. He was one of my favourite things you about The Force Awakens. Really? He okay, was. yeah. I was a big fan of John Boyega, but with Alison Williams, yes. is she... I, I have seen a few episodes of Girls, and she kind of plays an annoying character, in my opinion, on that show. Is she... Is there a good dynamic between the two or are they kind of two separate people that are acting well in their characters, but there's not much chemistry? I think there is pretty wonderful chemistry, actually. And I think lots of the interviews that I've seen have had Jordan Peele on his own to kind of maybe talk about the more serious side and uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Williams together. And even in their interviews, you can just tell that they have a kind of flow and they obviously worked on this film long enough together to build up a really believable relationship interesting i've got a couple of oh phil's raised his pen in the air why have you got a pen phil you're making notes <laughs> on nothing i've got two questions for you benedict one of which is i wonder why jordan peele didn't cast himself have you got any thoughts on that too old jordan peele is too old yeah there we go there's your answer i mean i'm looking at photos of the guy now he looks youthful but what do i know uh and my other question was going to be about the super baby booze so phil if yes. you've got a different one before I we start wrapping up can i just, just do you go, you go on right ahead now, in terms of the scariness of it, we've got the Super Bailey booze. That's the ranking that we give yes. for non-horror fans uh, that listen to the show. How scary is this film? What Bailey boo would you give it? I would probably go slap bang in the middle with a five. And I don't want to put people off because I do think it is a film that should be seen by pretty much everybody. Um, 
And if it was just for the first two acts, it would probably sit at maybe a two or three, just kind of being a creepy, slightly unnerving film. But there are elements, and this is unavoidable, there are elements in the third act that are, uh, we kind of get a bit of gore that we hadn't had previously. And some of that is quite tough and realistic. And I think people might find that hard work. Okay. But it's never too much. And you didn't find it... So I'm getting the sense that you really enjoyed this film for lots of things outside of the horror the horror wasn't necessarily maxed out or anything like that but the rest of the film is so much quality and so much fun that you enjoyed it and you think it's a great film i do yeah grade grade i'm gonna have to go with an a how about that listeners it sounds like one to watch and i'm very tempted i have to admit get out and see get out (laughs) nice benedict thank you so much that's a really interesting review on the Mm. film i am cautiously intrigued i'll say and i might just watch it and i'll let you know what i think laurie do. do you think you might see it yeah, I'm tempted. It sounds great. And I, especially Jordan Peele is now suddenly being earmarked to direct all other kinds of things. He's recently been linked with Akira, an adaptation of that. Really? Well, because Ghost in the Shell was such a success, they're instantly <laughs> on their bandwagon. Uh, but sounds like he's really one to watch, and this is what's kicked it off. So check it out if you're interested. Let Benedict know what, what you thought of the film. You can email us in at superbabybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbabybros. And Benedict, you are accepting plus ones and minus ones. So yes, I am. If you want to give a plus one or minus one to Benedict, send it in. Nice. Now, Benedict, one final thing. I'm sorry to keep you so long. Uh, Before you go, I would love to hear how the Oxford Human Rights Festival panned out. Listeners, you may remember, if you heard our little mini bonus sections while I was off on paternity leave, that Benedict was hosting a screening of Hector, which is all about homelessness and trying to encourage people to engage with that. Yes, it went very, very well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the Hector screening went down really well. And the opening night screening, we had Ken Loach. Wow. Presenting I, Daniel Blake. What a name. What a name, I know. And he was uh, a wonderful guest. And myself and 15 other film students got the chance to sit down with him as the film played. Because, of course, he's seen it <laughs> two dozen times, probably. <laughs> probably a bit more than two dozen probably times. Probably a bit more, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he sat down with us and had a lovely chat about uh, filmmaking, but also about kind of where we sit politically and how that is affecting our lives right now. Yeah, I can't imagine he would have stayed quiet on that. Yeah, no. And now, you, so would you, we had a nomination, I, Daniel Blake, for Best British Film of the Year in the Rewards, which of course we have done or are doing this episode, depending on where this review goes. Uh, do you think it should win that? I wouldn't give it the win, but I would be happy with a, a nomination or an honourable honorable what would, mention. What would you give as Best British Film? My vote, thinking back, would probably go to American Honey, which I know is set in America, Ah, but Andrea Arnold, and I loved that film. How about that? That's a three hour plus, isn't it? I think so. A lot of people two might, and three quarters. Two I and think. three quarters. Thank yeah. you. A lot of people might have missed that in the cinema, but I don't doubt it'd be great on the DVD. Yeah, it's wonderful. Right, Benedict. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. Good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Thanks very much, Benedict. We'll look forward to great. Great. What's you eyeing up for your next horror review? Oh, it's a very good question. I am not sure. We okay, have have well, <laughs> that's another mystery. <laughs> Keep tuning back in for the resolution of that cliffhanger. Thanks. Bye, Benedict. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the SBB 2017 
rewards. No, no, Laurie, we, we can't. No, this needs to be fun. The whole point about this is it's fun. It's not. It's not grandiose or serious or somber or anything okay, like that. Okay, okay, no, this I get it. 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 Up right, the pet. Let's just. Let, I'll play one. I play the chart soundtrack that I wrote. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Well, the 2017 rewards have been finally announced. Welcome to the awards ceremony. Da, 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 da. Hey, I'm listeners. adding music, aren't I? Yeah. It's really good. Uh, welcome to the awards ceremony or the rewards ceremony for 2017. Thank you so much, everyone who's been in touch, giving us categories, giving us nominations. The whole point of this is to recognise quirky moments in films or quirky films that don't really get a shout out at the Oscars. So you're not going to hear best picture, you're not going to hear best foreign film, anything like that. These are all things that have been overlooked by the Academy in Hollywood. <laughs> the Academy, right? Ugh. Oh, seriously. So thank you very much, all those who've been in touch on Twitter and by email. We're going to run through these right now. And how are we going to do this, Phil? You're going to read out what the category is, give us the couple of the nominations that have made it to the surface, the creme de la creme, and then we'll reveal who has won that category. That's right. And I'm afraid there is no impartial jury. It's what Phil and I think is best. And <laughs> that's it. And if you disagree with us, then let us know. Yeah, you know? that's the thing. Super Belly Bros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter but without any further ado should we get cracking Phil? Drum roll please <laughs> Can you actually put a drum roll in there? Oh right yeah okay here it is Right first up Best Franchise Film that is a film that entered a franchise that has at least three films in it and in the last year we had nominations well here are the top three nominations Star Trek Beyond Yes yep Civil War, that's Captain America, and Jason Bourne. Now, Jason Bourne, I already have made my feelings clear on that one. I reviewed that one. I think that's the weakest one uh, probably since the non-Matt Damon one. Because this is the fifth entry, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, a, it's probably the most established franchise, I'd say, uh, currently out of those three. But I think you've got to give credit to Captain America Civil War those three films Captain America First Avenger Captain America Winter Soldier and Civil War there's some three solid movies that have been really popular I think it skyrocketed Captain America to the number one some of the better superhero movies for sure but I think Phil we agree and in terms of number of nominations our listeners agree the best has got to be Star Trek Beyond which I'm really surprised by because when I saw the trailer for this film I thought this isn't going to work this is going to be too just silly and not fun at all and the thing is it was silly and it was was so much fun yeah and i loved it and i thought in fact it was better than the the second one it seemed to have lower ambitions and went back to something episodic simon Pegg really did a good job writing it even if he did make himself out to be a bit of an action hero <laughs> yeah but it's a great entry in the star trek the rebooted star trek universe so congratulations star trek beyond best franchise very good okay moving on i feel like you should announce the other ones phil next up Best British film. Now, there was a little bit of uh, dispute over what is a British film. Yes. And we believe these are British films, though some of them might not seem it. I think it's all to do with the money. Follow the money, as Deep Throat would say. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why. So, yeah, go ahead. So, we think these films are from British money, so they count as a British film. If not, we're very sorry. But you guys nominated them, so we put them in. Here it is A United Kingdom. Mm. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I guess so. Bridget Jones's Baby. Mm. And I think that you put this one in, slipped it in. The Girl with All the Gifts. <laughs> I did slip that one in there. I mean, A Monster Calls as well, that's on there. Yeah, that was also quite good, surprisingly good. Better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, listeners, it's no surprise, really. I don't think you felt a United Kingdom should win, although you did enjoy it in 
parts, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a good film, but I haven't seen The Girl with All Gifts, and you absolutely loved it compared to lots of other films. I so. was really impressed, given the small budget, and given what I have come to expect from the British film industry, I was impressed with its ambition and the script writing and the performances, and I thought it was all around a really, really impressive film. So I think that should win, and if you haven't seen it, you should really consider it. I would say Bridget Jones's Baby was actually surprisingly funny. So, But it was you... not the winner of Best British <laughs> Film. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Girl with All Gifts. Eddie the Eagle got a shout out from some listeners, but I'm sorry that that is not on the cup. We had to curate this list, you know. We had mm. to get, you know, we can't have a false. No, nomination. no, no, we certainly cannot. Okay, next one. Well, this one we've sort of eliminated because we didn't get enough uh, votes for it. I think people might have misunderstood what we meant. Uh, best and worst laugh it was. Now, what we're talking about is something a little bit like this. <laughs> <laughs> there he is again. It's so funny. Ben Affleck with the best laugh ever in cinema. That's we paycheck. are literally after a funny laugh. But I think people are given the bits where they laugh the most. I think they took that as the best laugh moment. So we've only really had one nomination for that from listeners, which is uh, Alison Jenny in Tallulah, which we haven't seen. Unfortunately, and not. I couldn't track it down in time. So uh, listeners, you'll have to tell us whether she does some good laughs. But basically, the winner is Marion Cotillard in Allied, and here's a little reminder of that fantastic moment. <laughs> That is an amazing class. It's fantastic, yeah. Oh, Marion. Okay, next up. Worst concept, best execution. This is the film which you think that's no way ever going to be good. It sounds like a terrible idea. Maybe the trailer looks awful, but it's actually awesome. Turned out pretty good. Turned out pretty good. And the nominations were The Shallows, Blake Lively, Standing on a Rock, yeah, you know, shallow admit, water. An, an hour and a half with only Blake Lively sounds like a terrible concept to me. Maybe to you, like, yes, maybe to yes you. to me. Obviously not to you. Sing now. I can't believe that, but people nominated it. Come on, I mean, we talked about this, Phil. It's like, I thought it looked awful. It looked like a sort of CGI animal version of the X Factor. But everyone, including you, who saw it, said it's not really like that. It's not it? really like that. That is true, and so it's different than it's been marketed. So yeah, worst concept, best execution. Maybe Sing does deserve mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storks. That yes. was the animated movie about storks delivering babies. I threw this one in there, listeners, and I, I really think it deserves to be there because everything you hear about storks makes you think, what on earth is that? Why would you make a film about that? Why would you watch a film like that? And I enjoyed it more than many films. And lastly, I'm not sure if this is official or nomination, but somebody scratched it in. I wonder who. Monster <laughs> Trucks. <laughs> Again, listen, we didn't have that many nominations for this category. We had loads in some, but not that many in others. Yeah, Monster Trucks. I, I thought that was way better than it had any right being, given how awful the basic concept is. A monster drives your truck for you. I quite like it. Which one's the winner, Laurie? Oh, tough question. I would be tempted to say The Shallows, because that's pretty seriously respected, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it seems to be a kind of classic return to Jaws-esque ideas, but in a different way. And Blake Lively managed to hold the screen for that long, and Benedict liked exactly. it, didn't he? Yeah, cr- crucially, and so did James Luxford, our film critic who covered for you that week. Crucially, it's just much better than it, we expected. Okay. Most made fun of actor and actress. We love this one. Now, we've actually had a lot of nominations for this category. Loads and loads and loads. So I'm quickly going to run through a lot of them, but then we'll give you our shortlist. People said Johnny Depp, Ben Affleck, Jared Leto, Gerard Butler, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Felton, Nicole Kidman, Toby Kebble and Tom Hiddleston. And perhaps it's no surprise that the top three from that list for us go to Ben Affleck, Tom Felton, that's Draco Malfoy, and Toby Kebble. Poor Toby Kebble. Poor Toby Kebble. It has to be Toby Kebble to win it, doesn't it? We've made fun of him. Like, without any we didn't know this category was going to come up we just have been making fun of him but you see now that's what we would give it and maybe that's what we did say it was going to be after us didn't we yeah i mean 
In reality, I think probably Tom Felton is. I, I know. I think it's Ben Affleck, man. I oh. think he got he's got slayed. He got turned into a meme. Sad Ben Affleck when he got interviewed about. Batman yeah, that is Superman. true. But Tom Felton, everything he's done, he can't escape Draco, can he? It's true. It's true. The Spectre never. Basically, leaves they're all losers, aren't they? Like, that's so untrue <laughs> no, no, that's in every true. way. <laughs> that's not true. Um, but, that's well, very good. No one really got crowned there. Come on, who are we giving it to, Phil? Decide. I want to give it to Toby Keevil because okay. he doesn't win anything. Toby Keevil. There we go. All right, uh, your turn, Phil. Best trailer. Now, mm. this was again one which lots of people nominated different ones, but the top three were. Rogue One, the first trailer, I believe. That was the big one. The teaser, yeah. Logan, that's the hurty <laughs> one. <laughs> I hurt myself I would not today. put it in the top three. Let's put it I that I think way. it's good, man. And then, and Suicide Squad, you know that one which basically meant there's a whole other version of the film made. Well, that's the because thing of its by popularity. the trailer editors. So it was so good. The trailer performed so well. They requested that the trailer team come back and edit the film. And that is a sad state of affairs. It's a sad state of, tra- of affairs, but it doesn't mean the trailer wasn't pretty good. It was impressive, especially given the finished product. Who's the winner, Phil? I mean, I have a soft spot for Logan. I think I love Johnny Cash. He's great. Uh-huh. And I, that really did make me think, oh, maybe this is going to be a bit different. But I think everyone has to agree that Rogue One made a big impact and the trailer certainly helped on its way. Oh, it was a splash and a half and it caused a big stir. It was well edited. And as we know, it's slightly cheekily edited because a lot of those shots weren't in the actual film, but doesn't stop it from being a great trailer. Raises those stakes massively. And, you know, can I throw in a very recent one, Phil, for people to dwell on? I think the trailer for King Arthur, The Legend of the Sword or whatever, Guy Ritchie's the next bizarre project. Project. I think that trailer looks brilliant with the Led Zeppelin track running behind it. Okay, we'll check that out if you want to see another good trailer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Best acting with nothing there. What, what, what do you mean? Well, really, this should be blue screen or green screen acting a la La Phantom Menace. La Phantom Menace? <laughs> <laughs> is it French? <laughs> so, no, it just happened. The uh, Phantom Menace. Uh, but no, no, no. It, it, actually, as some of the nominations we received suggest, it's just acting when there's nothing else there. So, uh, acting on your own merit Emma Stone in La La Land which I was confused by to begin with but now makes complete sense because of course there are those sequences where she's utterly on her own she's doing the auditions isn't she that's right and then right at the end as well she sings uh, in front of these people who are trying to commission her for film maybe and she does do a terrific fake audition it's very very compelling so Emma Stone's definitely up there uh, the jungle book that poor little kid is literally, literally nothing <laughs> he's not in a jungle he's just running around some green uh, and you know what for that he did a pretty good job little guy uh, and then also Ruby Barnhill in the BFG because of course she is basically the only actual actress in that film as well uh, that, I don't know how it was filmed she is obviously acts alongside Mark Rylance who is the BFG but basically she convinces really well so there's the top three we did think of maybe including Emma Watson with her recent turn as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, she does a good job acting alongside candlesticks and clocks. She interacts with them surprisingly convincingly. But I think we're going to give the winner to... It is going to go to Ruby Barnhill because the little kid in The Jungle Book, yes, he does a good job, but he's sort of playing a blank slate, isn't he? Moby doesn't have a, a, a surfeit of character, if that's the right phrase. Surfeit? Uh, What's a surface? A surplus of character. Surface. Just ignore me. Uh, but Ruby Barnhill really holds the film and she's quite compelling. She is... You know, some people will be annoyed because she's very speech and drama, but that is the point of the film. It's a roll dull piece. It's that sort of world, isn't it? Yeah, she really, really nails it and, and not an easy thing to do, especially when you're a young actress. So well done, Ruby. OK, your next film. Best fake accent. Mm-hmm. A favourite category of mine. Oh, yeah. Can we play sound clips for these? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, I think we should. So the first one, first nomination is Hail Caesar. This is Alden Ehrenreich. 
uh, playing a very Texan Deep South sort of guy. That's right. And you know what I said to Phil? No, he shouldn't be on the list because that's his real accent. So obviously he convinced me he does not sound like that. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Life. No, he doesn't. Very good. Well, I wrangled for a while and then they saw I could say a line or two and I was bad clam or deputy number two or guy's buddy for a couple of years. And then uh, someone heard me sing and they made me the guy. Next up is... Brad Pitt in Allied. Well, I mean, is this a joke nomination? We did have some people get in touch about it. I mean, it's the best in one sort of way, in the sense it's that the it's rubbish. It's the best how awful it is. Yeah, Jumapel Brad. <laughs> Jumapel Brad. Uh, is that really going to make the top three? Your husband doesn't speak English. Uh, only a little. Votre femme a demandé si elle pouvait vous amener au bal de l'ambassadeur demain. Oui, mais si c'est un problème, je comprends. And then last nomination is David Oyelowo for a United Kingdom, which actually generally brought a tear to my eye. Not because of the accent, though. But I mean, like, it's hard acting, isn't it? I assume. It's a tough job. And to be able to convey emotion with sincerity in a different accent, I think you've got to give him credit. We should not be fighting for segregation. We should be fighting for equality. That is where we should be focusing our minds, not on the wife I have chosen, who means you no harm. Okay, so who's the winner, Phil? And the winner is David Yellowwood. I think he has to get it. That was a very good accent, even though he used it in Queen of Catway as well. Do you worry, Phil, sometimes? I think this has been a consistent theme in our reviews, that when there's a film which really features a strong English accent, we're often not convinced by the actor. And I'm thinking of Naomi Harris in particular. Oh, she is dreadful. When she's British. <laughs> but when she's American, as in Moonlight, she's yeah, really good. Yeah, she's really good. That's a good point. We need to Maybe we need to extend this and say best American accent. There's so many Brits doing American accents that you don't even realise. Well, and I just think of Idris Elba as well. Like When he was playing Shere Khan in The Jungle Book, I was really unimpressed with his delivery. I think we're prejudiced against our own accent now. That's a problem. <laughs> it shouldn't be in Hollywood movies, that's all I'm saying. Okay. All right, next one. Most confusing title. We had some good ones here. Some good ones. Sean. Some good ones. Okay. Anthropoid. Brilliant. I've got no idea what on earth that's about. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a film. <laughs> uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, very confusing. What is it? Is it something to do with Cloverfield? Is it not? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've, I've included one too many. Midnight Special should be on there. Yeah, definitely. What I still don't have any idea. And collateral beauty. Oh, uh, is this really a debate at all? Collater- what does it mean? No, collateral beauty has won that one because it's a nonsensical title that's only vaguely explained in the film. Not even vaguely. It just doesn't even and attempt to. And it's not even artistic at all. It's just bonkers. Bad choice. Oh, well, okay. What are you doing? Next one. Here's one which is kind of ridiculous, but it's a good category, believe it or not. Best use of markers, highlighters, pencils, or pens. <laughs> and the nominations are Arrival with, uh, what's her face, Ginger Lady. Amy Adams. Amy Ginger Adams, Lady. Forgot. what are you talking about? Well, the Oscars forgot her, so I can forget <laughs> oh, as well. Oh, Zing. Burn. Uh, she's doing all the marker stuff on the boards for those aliens and stuff. That's very fun. true. Yeah, good yep, use yep. of markers there. What if they uh, run out? Mm, yep, she may very she true. use them well. The world could end. The accountant, Ben Affleck, doing little social networky style writing on the windows. That was glass. very cool, actually, all over the room. That was a good little scene, yeah. Writing True. out all the accounts, very cool. And Lion, which I made fun of because they have a very key <laughs> scene where they show him buying, buying markers. And it's like this weird Russian doll sort of version of highlighters. You know, one which like clicks into <laughs> yeah, the next yeah, yeah. one? Yeah, I remember them well. Big tube. Yep, yep, oh, yep, yep, ridiculous. Yep. Who wins it for you, Phil? I'm t- it sounds like Lion to me. No, no, no. I'm going to give it to the accountant because okay. it genuinely is quite cool and it makes uh, what could have been a very boring scene where he just looks through loads of files actually quite interesting and visually quite engaging. Nice. I think that's definitely a sort of underdog film, The Accountant, that not a lot of people saw. And I, st- I would really recommend it. It certainly offers something different, doesn't it? Mm. Okay, moving on. 
best supporting hair. Now, last year, we didn't do the Brawls category, but last year definitely would have gone to Steve Carell in The Big Short. Oh, yeah, that, that was a genuine support. It actually aided his performance. It was amazing. <laughs> it was wobbling all it over was, the place. I saw that again the other day. It gets better every time you watch it. So that it, would have been last year's winner if we'd uh, been running the competition. Yeah, but what's nice this call. year's nominations? Well, Sing Street got a ton of nominations because of the fantastic transformation of Ferdia Walsh-Pilo and his band as they go through each new phase of music. That's fantastic. That is hilarious. It's genuinely hilarious. It is. Uh, Lion got a shout Phil for Dev uh, Patel's handsome hairdo <laughs> it's amazing I was so jealous of his hair there's sort of his beautiful curly mane uh, it's true they had a couple of others as well I'll just race through these there's more than three because we know the winner uh, Hell or High Water Chris Pine got a shout for his moustache very yeah good. very good moustache Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them that's for Johnny Depp that got a couple of noms actually Phil a few people said that dreadful hair okay <laughs> okay and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and that's Samuel L. Jackson's yeah he's got a sort of very bizarre white it's a white throw. kind of this definitely reminds me of some character that I just can't think of. Almost like electricity has gone through it or something like That's that. That's right. Um, but I think we just have to give it to Sing Street. It got loads of nominations and that it just does so much. It supports his character. It supports the story. It gives you some laughs. That's great work. But I am a big fan of whatever product Deb tells me. <laughs> Very jealous. <laughs> All right, moving on. Most noteworthy credits. Now, this was basically, well, noteworthy credits at yes, the end or the beginning. And the nominations are lots of uh, suggestions. Thanks very much. Everybody wants some with yes. a bit of a musical interlude as it goes. You feel I actually managed to miss this when we saw the film in the cinema. I think we must not have stayed late enough in the credits. Maybe we just dashed out. Yeah, you should look that up, listeners, online. Everybody wants some. Fantastic end sequence. Ghostbusters with a bit of dancing yes. from Chris Hemsworth and all those guys. That was genuinely quite a nice moment. I found it a bit heartbreaking because I thought the rest of the film was mediocre and it came in such a miserable storm. They actually looked like they were having fun in that dancing sequence and I, I just felt sad. And the last one is Jungle Book, the live-action remake by John Favreau. It's a lovely little beautiful kind of harken back to the original cartoon, how it begins with the book, and it returns to the book, and it sort of pops up and makes these lovely CGI scenes. It's quite a nice way of displaying. Yeah, very good. And definitely worth uh, looking for these on YouTube, listeners. I should say, I, I feel like I miss out on some of these because some of the screenings I go to, they don't really do this in the end credit sequence. Um, they, they wouldn't play an after credit sequence all the time and they might not show the sort of fun end credits. Sometimes that appears to be added for the theatrical release. So I feel like I'm missing out, in other words. Oh, boo-hoo, see films early. Oh. <laughs> it's not that much fun. I know it is, it's loads of fun. <laughs> what are you talking about? Let's move on. Okay. Best unexpected comedy moments slash best lols. Uh, we got loads of nominations for this. Uh, some of them are people sent in just the film themselves, and I don't know whether they just laugh the whole way through or whether they're <laughs> thinking, thinking of a specific scene. But uh, you, you tell us the scene as well if you ever do want to get in touch with that kind of thing. We love a good comedy scene. Okay, number one up here: Ryan Gosling on the toilet in the Nice Guys. That is so funny, it and is. unfortunately we can't play a clip because it just doesn't do it justice. It's a brilliant bit of physical comedy. It is brilliant, and yeah, it made me laugh out loud so much. And that got a ton of nominations. Well done, Mr. Gosling and Co. Florence. Foster Jenkins, her first rehearsal with the pianist, where he suddenly discovers what her singing voice is actually like. That is really genuinely hilarious. A lot of credit needs to go to the the Big Bang guy, Howard. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could. Off the Howard Wolowitz is his character's name. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's really helpful. Just so you know. Okay, Hail Caesar. Yeah, I mean, I wish it were. Would that it were system. Can we play a little clip of it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Here you go. Your line, just say it as I said. Say your line exactly as I'm about to. Just as I'm about to do. Sure. Okay. Would the tattoo so simple? 
Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twere? Well, you should say it like I said it. Y- yes. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it would that it were so simple. Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Keep your head still. Would that it were so simple. I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, you've got to be very, very clever as a writer to envisage that scene. It's fantastic. Yeah, well done, Coen Brothers. But Great delivery, too. Who's going to get the win? I think it's Ryan Gosling, Phil. Not only did he win the most nominations, but man, that cracked me up. It is genuinely hilarious. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's just funny. And we've got a lot of other nominations in that category, listeners. Maybe we'll share those at a later date. Uh, one of which really jumps out at me is uh, Tom... Oh, what's his name? I can't remember. The, oh, this is terrible, Phil. We should have researched this. But in Love and Friendship, uh, the guy who plays... Oh, I can't even remember his character name either. This is a really good bit, oh, isn't it? Terrible, Let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, no. Uh, Phil has forced me to keep all that stumbling in, but it's Tom Bennett uh, when he discusses Churchill's name. Uh, and that's the, the place Churchill, because Churchill himself didn't exist at that point. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, But yes, that's definitely worth looking up. Okay, moving swiftly on. Films that were nearly much better than they actually were. Yes, and this is sort of a reverse of that previous category. So this is uh, a really, really good concept, great idea, starts well, that then kind of tails off. Trails off is very bizarre and a bit frustrating. Yes. The nominations are The Legend of Tarzan. This is David Yates' attempt and sort of re... uh, I I don't know where it lands on the Tarzan legend, but... It was nearly quite good, nearly quite fun. There's and it lots just... about it It was quite good, but the, yeah, it just didn't quite match up to its promise, did it? Super frustrating when that happens. Another one is Kubo and the Two Strings. Both yes. of us loved the first two acts of this film. So stunning and imaginative, breathtaking in so many ways. And then there's just nothing in the final act. It's very bizarre. It's very strange the way that it gets resolved. And it's actually quite hard to put your finger on what makes it fall apart. And here we go. We're going to annoy some people, Laurie. Rogue One. (laughs) We already know how much everyone disagrees with us. I'm really curious to know, listeners, whether anyone has... I think now it's out on DVD, isn't it? If anyone's rewatched it, I'd love to know whether your own opinions of the film have changed or stayed the same. So if you still think it's awesome, tell us. If you think, actually, it's declined a little bit after the hype has died down, we'd love to know that. Um, But yeah, I think Phil and I had fairly mediocre expectations. It fits the the bill. We thought, Uh, oh, great, let's hear about the people who got the Death Star plans. Oh, wait, that's what it is. Yeah, it was very disappointing for us. What's the winner, Phil? It's It's going to be. I think, unfortunately, it has to go to Cuba and the Two Strings because it was so good to begin with. I was loving the film and then it just evaporated. It really were. They, they were extraordinary heights that it hit at the beginning, weren't they? And that, I think that's why it felt so disappointing. Just repeated what you said there. All right, moving on. Best villain. Oh, good one. Okay. Right at the top here, the three sister witches, or is it two sister witches? Two, two, two. In Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes. Thank you for nominating that one. They were genuinely scary. I was really impressed by them. They have the sort of mask, don't they? Yeah, that's right. We had a nomination for The Shallows, The Shark in The Shallows. <laughs> we had a nomination for Superman, with an assurance that, yes, he really is a villain. What, in Batman vs. Superman? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Rogue One, someone gave Darth Vader. All those are kind of not... It's sort of more comedy suggestions, I think, than anything else. But the next most serious one was Aaron Taylor-Johnson in Nocturnal Animals. And, uh, well, who do we give it to, Phil? I wonder. Well, are we? You, I feel like you want to give it to Aaron Taylor-Johnson because, I mean, the guy got a Golden Globe, didn't he? Yes, and he wasn't even nominated nominated in the best pulling actor category for the oscars which is very odd and i did find him very very threatening i didn't like the film it was a very nasty film and he is really truly nasty in it but it's a nastiness with a range 
and a surprising variety. I had marked Aaron Taylor-Johnson down as someone without much to give, but he gives a lot in this film, so I think he probably should win it, yep. But I think the sister witches in Cuba and the Two Strings genuinely really do serve They're the really well. scary, and, and they make a big difference. You're right, yep. Okay, next one. Most poorly chosen music. Yes, and we sort of broaden this into just worst soundtrack, basically, didn't we? Yep, and... Uh, no surprise, Suicide Squad is our first nomination. Yes, we it had a few people say that. went for the old poppy, weird mix of... It was, I mean, it was effect of the whole edit, editing debacle that it was, but there was a weird mix of poppy music that was trying to be a bit Marvel well, and Well, they bit seemed fun. to, in an attempt to rescue the film, they just seemed to have shoved in a load of rock tracks to give it a weird, ironic edge, but it, it's clear that it doesn't really fit the film in a number of places, and it, it feels like a desperate rescue attempt. Another one is Rogue One. You you thought John Williams' score not being there was a real tragedy. There was one specific moment that I think everyone, even big fans of the film, will have to agree with me on, which is that when Star Wars, the title appears and vanishes into the distance, there's just nothing. That needs a bombastic score, big brass stab, and it almost sounded like a, I didn't even know, a video game or a like fan film. Like an amateur film. fan film, yeah, yeah. It was awful. And then I think it was matched by the rest of the score, which was really trying way too hard to capture John Williams' frenetic skills and just never matched up to it. It was really poor choice to try and copy it so much. Next up is, this is one from me, is Lion. I thought the, the Lion music really detracted from the film. What did you say? It was sort of over-emotional or something? It was over-emotional and over-minimalist. like It was kind of in, out, in, out all the time, shake it all about. It was just frustrating because the film is already heavy on the emotional side. I don't need the music to be constantly reminding me how sad it is that this boy doesn't know his parents. Mm. Like, who needs that? And I wanted to throw in Arrival because I really hated the Disagree. string quartet piece, but I wasn't allowed to do that. So, Phil, who wins that one? I think it has to go to Suicide Squad... It was noteworthy and it kind of highlighted all the problems with that film. Yeah, I think unfortunately that's fair. I would like to see more rock, you know, classic rock and pop songs being used in films. I think they're underused on the whole, but that's not the way to go about it. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Good category. Best potted plant. This was kind of a joke, wasn't it? It wasn't really meant to be anything. Well, no, anything. it was there. It was semi-serious. <laughs> but then we actually had some good nominations. We had some great nominations. Someone said Baby Groot. Technically, the film hasn't been released yet, but Guardians of the Galaxy 2, it's in the same season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. He's not in a pot, though, either. So now I'm thinking that should be stricken from the list. Oh, no, he is in a pot at some oh, point. Oh, to be fair, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. He sort of wiggles about, He does the he? dance at the end credits. So yeah. maybe that's what this listener's got in mind. Fair enough, although Guardians of the Galaxy is too old. Moving on. <laughs> Passengers. I've not seen Passengers. You have. Apparently, there's a tree in there that's important yeah it's amazing it's actually kind of a plot point so <laughs> it's actually the best plotted plant plotted plant as well as potted plant there we go I isn't that good i thought we were just getting that wrong that's, there's a lot of people uh. there for someone okay <laughs> and uh florence foster jenkins and the person who emailed this in says i'm pretty sure there was a plant at one point in the film. Uh, so i think we know who won that one and that would be Passengers has to do. I, I couldn't believe it. I was thinking, oh, I'm not going to get anything for that category. And then somebody, a couple of people did, in fact, get in yeah, touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. thank you very much. Good to recognise the production team for such great choices on the plants. <laughs> okay, and Phil, what is the last thing? I think we have uh, mixed feelings about this one, don't we? Well, the last one was going to be Lifetime Award for the most hated film. And then we ha- we were looking at the things that were coming in and they we were very... We did get some ba- really good nominations, that's true. They were very varied and we couldn't... Basically, we wanted to find something which was really going to be... This film divides opinion massively. People hate it. Sexual they can't teeth stand on it. edge. It's like the feeling of cotton wool or whatever it is. And it's the sound not, of markers on a blackboard. Yeah, it's it's not just like a, a, a bad film. It's the film which just boils your blood. And for me, 
I'm, I'm already one I could put it forward Beauty and the Beast the live action remake I think that's your oh. you're being too emotional there but I'm not going to put it back, in there step but back from it instead what we're going to do is we're going to leave this category open the well broads, it's a lifetime achievement award exactly so we're not going to rush this one we want to get it right and so we're open to having more suggestions about your most hated film ever and we'd love to hear why as well that'd for, be great yeah why the why is really important just for example here are three that, that do fit the bill nicely someone said batman and robin the joel shoemaker version uh, which is very much hated someone said alvin and the chipmunks they, they, i think the guy asked if there's a cure for it or something <laughs> uh, and someone else mentioned the titanic um i think it's just titanic isn't it unless he's <laughs> thinking of something titanic. else uh, and, and for me I, I sadly for many people would put deadpool up there i did actually hate that film uh, i had a visceral reaction to it so mm. listeners yeah do send in your most hated films of all time and in some ways that's kind of a not a very great note to end the awards bill that's the last one well you know it's not the most glossy sort of end of award show is it Someone normally it's gonna it... be the most glamorous moment of the year do you think oh. we delivered that i don't know it depends what music you put underneath i don't need to get to hear the music still it's just going to be the upbeat chart music it will have gone under the whole thing oh really no don't put it under the whole thing well i think i have to you've got to give it some pep man well i'm peppy you're very peppy it's true any thoughts do you want to do this again next year do you think we need to change the categories i think maybe we need to slim it down a little bit and hone in i think we'll get rid of the 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 things which haven't really worked and bump up the ones which have nice one and don't worry listeners i'm going to put a complete list of the winners on the website there is a page on the website which details the categories and all that sort of stuff but I will update that with the winners uh, and I mean I'm giving myself work to do and I really don't have time to do it but there we go I'll try and include links wherever possible to uh, clips that uh, reveal why that uh, film or person won the awards thank you so much everyone for getting in touch this is a very collaborative awards segment we ask for your help with just about everything and you did brilliantly so thank you and well done yeah you would win Arbor Award for the best listeners yeah absolutely <laughs> how about that okay over and out we didn't have any mess ups though that's the only thing if we're <laughs> going to do the Oscars you know we did mess a few things up but they would have been cut out because we had the benefit of not being a live broadcast yeah it doesn't sound that do hard do you think we get. should do it live next time yeah. oh, that's scary alright till next year reward bye bye Oh, deep breath. I'm not feeling too great myself, so... You don't look too great, honestly, without being too mean, man. That's not very nice. I said I'm not trying to be mean, it's just... I, Is I it my slick back hair? Judith hates my current hairdo, man. What do you think? Am I rocking it? <laughs> no, I don't think it's good. <laughs> really? I, well, I just think you haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm, I'm trying I'm to look like try uh, and... Luke Wilson yeah, in the is... uh, Bottle Rocket era. Not Bottle Rocket, Legally Blonde era. What are you talking that is genuine, about? Look at, Google it, and I, I don't guarantee you. that's I don't what want, you're going for. I don't for. want to believe you. That's the problem. Anyway, this is beside the point. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this slightly unusual show. Hope you were satisfied with the results of the rewards. We're excited to potentially do it again next year with a maybe smaller list. Yep, and maybe a bit slicker as well. We'll get better, I promise. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I hope you also enjoyed Benedict's thoughts on Get Out. I thought he did a brilliant job. Really interesting thoughts. Yeah. It sounds like a really interesting film as well. So it does quite seminal almost. I would love to hear what other people make of it. So Absolutely. if you've seen that film, email in. Yeah, it means we don't have to see it. <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid. Uh, also, give me your thoughts on Ghost in the Shell. Sorry if you absolutely loved it and you disagreed with me, but please do tell me if that's the case. I think you were more positive than you think you were. Okay, that's a good thing. Uh, superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. And, you know, as we said in the intro, we, we've had to adapt it quite a lot. We did, we've got thoughts on L and Trespass Against Us to give, uh, but they just haven't been able to squeeze in. The film train carries on on its train tracks. There we go. And we're thinking about some change-ups to the form 
formula fairly soon, listeners. Um, we'll keep you posting all that sort of stuff, but suffice it to say, you might be seeing a re-emergence of what we've been watching more regularly. <gasps> Imagine that. Okay, anything else to say, Phil, or should we say ta-ta? Ta-ta for now. Thanks so much, guys. Bye, have a great week. Bye. Phil, my daughter is a big fan of soft toys. Yeah, most Were you children are. back in the day as a child? Uh, I had a teddy. Did you? What mm. was his name? Ezra. Or her name? Ezra. Oh, my middle right. name? Your middle name. Classy. Classy? Maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast. People try to steal my identity. I'd just like to stay posh on that one. Classy. Or classic. Anyway, I, my daughter loves these things. They're like little comforters. And there's a giraffe that she calls Raph in a very endearing oh, way. Oh, that's very uh, sweet. Isn't that cute? Uh, and she had a rabbit as well. Babbit, she calls it. And she drops these things quite often. And we were getting on the bus to go to town recently. And as I was sort of shoehorning the buggy onto the bus, it's quite a complicated maneuver. She must have dropped the rabbit and none of us saw it. And when we realized, where's the rabbit gone? Well, the bus was doing the loop around the bus stop area. And we saw the rabbit on the (sighs) pavement. And, you know, you can't get off the bus at that point. It's gone. So we just had to watch it disappear into the distance. Um, You know, my daughter was obviously distraught about this. uh, And we weren't that happy either. But we comforted ourselves with the idea, if we came back, surely... Some kind-hearted soul will see, uh, you know, a lost doll, a a doll uh, desperately left on the sidewalk, needing to face the gritty and grimy world all on its own. Can you imagine it? You can imagine just staring. You imagine the scene in a Toy Story film, right? And the how terrifying the bus stop must look. I was going to say, this is basically like a movie scene. I know, right? Yeah, Like the most cliched movie scene. (laughs) Thanks. But then surely someone would see that, take pity on the little rabbit and lift it up and carry it to safety, to safe harbour. The coffee shop, perhaps, or the bus stop, you know, uh, service guy's room. We got back. Of course, that didn't happen. No rabbit was forthcoming. They said, no, I haven't seen anything. But the thing is, we knew, we saw it, we saw it on the pavement, we hunted around, we looked in the bushes nearby, nothing. And you know, it's not a great story, that, that's the end, we never found it again. But I just thought, what person would not hand that in? What are you talking about? It's like a little raggy thingy. You, if you saw it, if you saw how cute this little <laughs> rabbit was. I think you're seeing it the way your daughter even sees Even the bad guy in Mulan knows what you do with a lost doll. <laughs> The little girl must be missing her doll. We should return it to her. If you... (laughs) Even a wicked, evil, Disney, terrifying villain knows what to do with with a lost doll. So if you are the person who just left it, trod on it, even stole it, because it can't have gone anywhere, then... You're worse than... What's the guy's name? Shang Fu or something like that. Should I play the clip? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The quickest way to the Emperor is through that pass. Besides... The little girl will be missing her doll. We should return it to her. Is let it. Woo! They're painting. Woo! The bloopers. I'm glad to hear that Daniel Kaluuya is doing well for this British actors. Not that I am one, but you're talking about this is this. Best plotted part. Plotted part. <laughs> said it so, plotted. best plotted part. <laughs> What's wrong with me? What's wrong you with need, me, man? You need to say so again as well. So, best plotted. No, that's the same again. Plotted. I'm doing a point. I'm making a joke. Oh, you're making it. Oh. All right, go again. 